Oh, hey, I'm so glad that you found us. My name is Michael, and I get to be the pastor at Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. You're listening to the It's Better When You're Here podcast, where every week we upload the messages that are preached at our church every Sunday. We hope by listening to this, uh, you feel safe, heard, and loved by the God that created you. We hope this message makes an impact in your life. If listening to this makes a difference, reach out to us and connect with us either on social media or on our website, shepherdsumc.com. All right, here's the message. So as your pastor, you won't often hear me quote Teddy Roosevelt. I don't make it a practice to quote many presidents when I preach to you for obvious reasons, but this is just too true and has been too true in my life for far too many times. Comparison is the theft of joy. So Esther, in, in this book, God is in disguise, but wants to be found. If you were here in the previous weeks, you've heard me talk about this, that in the book of Esther, you never actually hear the name of God. God never speaks. God never shows up in the whole book. If you want more information about this, you should Google Purim and look at the Jewish holiday that maybe you invite yourself over to a synagogue while they practice it. It seems like a lot of fun. Everyone wears disguises to remind us that in the book of Esther, we don't see God explicitly, but instead God is there in disguise. So it's a very modern tale, right? God doesn't show up in, in our day-to-day we see in the Bible. God doesn't walk around on feet. God doesn't necessarily come out of the sky like we read in the Bible or we see in the middle of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? It's not exactly like that any longer. And so when we read Esther, we read something of a modern tale. God shows up. So this book is an epic tale. It's more, when you read it, it's more Game of Thrones and less like a history book. There are big conflicts between big characters. The book of Esther is less there to tell you what happened in the time of King Xerxes and more to tell you a tale that points you to God. And Haman is the chief bad guy. I have to admit, I'm a bit of a bit of a nerd. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I watched about 20 minutes of the first episode, and I realized that it was made for a different audience than me. I love Bluey. Like, I love watching Bluey with Annabelle. Game of Thrones isn't my speed, but whoever the big bad guy is, that's who Haman is, okay? And so Haman is the chief bad guy, and yet today we are going to learn from him. Today we're going to talk about how Haman interacted in the story of Esther, and we're going to learn from him. But the thing I'm going to say again and again, the thing I hope you get stuck in your head, our lives are too precious to waste one moment comparing them to anyone else. I'll say that again. Our lives are too precious to waste one moment comparing them to anyone else. So if you haven't read all of Esther, again, I'll encourage you every week, go ahead and give it a try. It's 10 chapters. Great way to, you know, end the day. You need to fall asleep and then pick it up the next night. But you'll see that the biggest conflict is between a character named Haman and another character named Mordecai. And so they've got bad blood. They hate each other. Mordecai and Haman hate working together. When, when Haman rolls up and he sees that Mordecai's camel's there, he thinks about taking a sick day. He does not want to go into the office with Mordecai. And Mordecai doesn't really hate Haman because Mordecai can't be bothered to waste that much time on Haman, right? Which is somehow so much worse than hatred, right? You know, it, it's almost as if you finally confront your 
your number one enemy, and they go, who are you again? Right, ooh, sick burn, right? Yeah, and that's how Mordecai is operating. Mordecai is really good at his job. He's a king's official. He, he uh, helps the king rule the entire world, and Haman is also pretty good at his job. Mordecai saves the king's life, and yet Mordecai is not honored. And so in this passage, the king remembers that Mordecai was never honored, and so the king decides to do something well and asks his trusted advisor, Haman, says, how should I honor someone who has done well in the eyes of the king? And Haman lists out what he wants to have happen to him. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that person really likes pineapple upside down cake. You should make a really big one, knowing that Haman is the only one that actually likes pineapple upside down cake. Follow me. You got it. I'm sure pineapples were not around Persia at that time, but Haman and Mordecai hate each other. And not only do they hate each other, uh, Haman hates Mordecai because of their lineage as well. The people of Haman hated the people of Mordecai. Haman was an anti-Semite from the very beginning. He was raised to hate the people of Israel from eons before. And that doesn't change in this interaction. Mordecai does well in his job, but Haman is the favorite of the king. And here's what's important to hear, and, and I, I wonder if you might see a reflection of yourself here, but it's this. Haman cannot tolerate his own success. Haman can't tolerate his own success. You see, Haman does a good job. The king likes Haman, thinks Haman is, is a great leader and, and loves having him around, is, is almost close to a king's friend, and yet Haman can't stomach being successful because he knows that Mordecai is still around. Have any of you ever felt this before? I wonder, you know, you're successful in what you do, or you feel like you have a great accomplishment, you feel like you've done a good job, and yet it doesn't feel like it's enough. I, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but there have been times in my life where I felt like I've done a very good job, felt proud of myself, but then immediately realized it was not going to be enough. It's almost like this treadmill of trying to do something more and greater and finding that it's never really enough. I think of the Greek myth Sisyphus, the man rolling a, a rock up a hill just to have it roll back down again. I do a very, very good job. I'm proud of myself. I love myself. And then all of a sudden, it rolls right back down, and I feel a bit like Haman, unable to be truly happy. I don't know. I hope at least one other person resonated with that. Otherwise, I was just vulnerable for no reason, but that has been an experience that I've had. And friends, our lives are just too precious to waste one moment comparing them to anyone else. What we're getting at here, friends, is joy. Mordecai and Haman, all of us here on the planet, we are striving for something that we call joy. Joy is sometimes seen as a synonym for happiness, but joy is not happiness. Joy is a slippery thing. And why do I say that other than to say something weird and gross like joy is slippery to try and make it stick to your mind so you hold on to it after today? But I also say because it's true, joy is not happiness. Happiness needs circumstances. Friends, I am happy when I am with other people. I am happy when uh, the temperature is below one billion as it is right now, even in this room. I am happy when I'm with my friends. It's cool out. We've got a fire in the fire pit going. 
and there's jokes being told, that's when I'm happy. But if I choose joy, if I can hold on to it for long enough, I can be happy when the humidity is at 100% and the temperature is near 100 as well. I can have joy when I'm alone by myself in the car and there's traffic. I can have joy when I get fired from my job. I can have joy when no one texts me back. I can have joy regardless of my circumstances. Happiness requires circumstances. Joy is durable. Joy is a thing that exists exactly in the present. Joy cannot exist when dot, 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 that powerful ellipsis. Joy cannot exist when. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, you might hear someone say, you know, I'll be financially stable when, or I'll be happy when. You know, once we pay off the boat, I'll really feel happy. Once the kids go off to college, then I'll really be happy. Once I retire, then I'll finally be able to let my hair down. Maybe another way of putting this is, I see a lot of parents post something like this. Once this month slows down, everything will get a little bit easier. Does anyone else feel this before? This feeling of, you know, once May ends, it's, it's fine until next uh, June. And then it feels like it just picks up again. As I get older, I find the time between Christmases is getting tighter and tighter and tighter, right? Uh, I don't know if that's just a pastor thing, but I feel like I'm a crazy person, like I have to plan Advent, and I just planned Advent like a second ago, right? There's this feeling of putting happiness off. But when we put happiness off into the future, waiting for a vacation to come, waiting for retirement, waiting for the kids to move out, waiting for our relationships to get stronger and better, that time never comes. Because, friends, joy can only exist right now. Because the only time that actually exists is the present. Not to get too metaphysical on you, but the past no longer exists. And, and the future is not here. That hasn't happened yet. But joy only exists right now. Joy is a choice. Joy is something that we choose right in the moment. And Haman could not choose joy. As he walked through the city and he saw Mordecai existing, joy went away, and his happiness along with it. When we tie our joy to the future, it is not true joy. Our lives are too precious to waste one moment comparing them to anyone else. Haman compared himself to Mordecai. Hear this verse from chapter 5. Uh, Haman boasted to his family and his friends about his great wealth and his many sons. He told all about how the king had honored him by promoting him over the officials and high royal workers. Best of all, Haman said, Queen Esther has invited no one else but me to join the king for food and drinks that she has prepared. In fact, I've been called to join the king at her place tomorrow. But all this loses its meaning every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Haman refused joy. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what it would be like if you got an email saying, hey, insert famous person here. I don't, I don't care who it is, you know, the president, the former president, Abraham Lincoln, Taylor Swift, I don't know. But they want to have 
drinks and food with you, how would that make you feel? Uh, it would make me feel very, very nervous. I would not be too happy about it. But imagine if it made you feel very, very happy, right? But then as soon as you get that, it immediately evaporates because you know that someone else even just exists, is even just sitting there. Haman refused joy. Everything is going Haman's way. He's got great wealth. He's got a great family. He's got family and friends and a wife that support him. But all of that loses its meaning just because Mordecai exists. How powerful is Mordecai in Haman's life? Mordecai is living rent-free in Haman's mind, and Haman refuses joy. See, friends, when we compare ourselves to others, we tell joy there's no room in your life. When we compare ourselves to others, we tell joy there's no room in our lives. Haman could have felt so much better if he had just allowed himself to not be compared to others. And and friends, I think Haman would have felt right at home in our culture. I, I don't know about you, but I'm moderately to severely addicted to Instagram. I am, I am a scroller. Oh my goodness, the hours that I pass. I'll open it up and be like, ah, oh, just a little check. And then all of a sudden it, the sun has set, right? And I've missed the world around me. And a big part of it, uh, and I'd like to say, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm above this. I am not. I'm way below this. Watching other people live their lives and feeling an immense sense of jealousy and comparison. Am I the only one? No? Is anyone else here? Maybe you'd be brave enough to like raise your hands. I don't feel so freaking alone. Okay, great. Thank you. But we see other people on Instagram. We see people that are better at editing photos than we are. We see people that live such a life. We think, if I could only, man, if I could only live like that, I would finally be happy. And friends, you know this is true. The more that we compare ourselves, the more time we waste, the less we are focused on the things that are good all around us. It pains me to say, but I know that it's true. I can't tell you how many times I've missed out with my daughter, with my wife, because I was too busy staring at a fantastic rectangle that told me all the ways that my life was not as good as it could be. I can't tell you how many times that I've missed out on moments that could have been lifelong memories because I was staring at a square that told me I wasn't good enough. And Haman, Haman would have loved social media. Oh my goodness. He'd be posting about all the great things that he had. Uh, He'd have a few ghost accounts to post mean things on Mordecai's page, right? Uh, He would love social media. I think what we need to see here is that the whole story of Esther changes. If Haman refused to compare himself to Mordecai, but instead chose joy. This story ends differently. I, I hate to ruin it for you. Again, I, know, I told you that I never watched Game of Thrones, but I'm about to uh, ruin the, the final episode of Esther for you. But Haman dies. Like really, like a horrible, like it's not good, right? Like, I mean, you can die a little. This dude dies extra, right? And this whole story changes if Haman instead chooses joy. Friends, how does your story change? If you choose joy, I don't know if it's a person. I don't know if it's an idea. 
I don't know if it's a brand that you compare yourself to, but friends, what if you stop doing that today? How does your story change? Because friends, our lives are far too precious to waste one moment comparing them to someone else. You see, what's important to understand here is that Haman defined himself by what he did. He defined himself by how other people saw him. That's who Haman was. He, he outparceled his own definition to someone else. He allowed someone else to define him. He put that work in someone else's hand. He, he defined himself by what he did. But friends, Mordecai knew whose he was. When I was in youth ministry and we celebrated seniors going off to college, the two things that I would say was, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Remember that you are not what other people tell you you are, and remember that you always belong here at this church and in the family of God. You belong to God, no one else. And if you choose to define yourself by your accomplishments, you will always let yourself down. I don't care how good you are, and I'm sure you are very, very, very good, but you will always let yourself down. You'll miss an alarm. You'll miss an assignment. You'll let yourself down as a parent. You'll let yourself down as a spouse. You'll let yourself down as a kid. You will let yourself down if you choose to define yourself by your accomplishments. But if you choose to define yourself by whose you are and not what you do, you will have joy. So this week, my challenge for you is this. Tell yourself whose you are and to whom you belong. See, Mordecai knew that he was a child of Israel. He knew he belonged to Yahweh. He knew to whom he belonged. And Haman, Haman just couldn't see it. Haman belonged to whoever would give him praise in that moment. And we have to release ourselves from that same horrible treadmill. Because our lives are too precious to waste one moment comparing them to anyone else. May you rest in joy knowing you are not what you do or what you make. You are a child of God. May you only ever compare yourself to what your heavenly father calls you, and that is beloved. All right, friends, I hope you heard something in today's message that made an impact in your life, helped you know that you're loved by God, and inspired you to do something about the gospel that is offered to you. Now receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.